In 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 to 24, we come to a passage of Scripture that is intensely practical. Indeed, there is no uh, space wasted in any of John's epistles, nor in his gospel, nor in the book of Revelation, and all of it is practical and teaches us what God has to say. But in this passage, we come to the completion of a picture that John has been painting throughout this letter. He has been painting a picture, building a sculpture, if you please, of what a true believer is like. In chapter 1, verse 7, we are told that the true believer walks in the light, not according to the light, but in the light. In chapter 2, verse 3, we are told that the true believer keeps God's commandments. In chapter 2, verse 6, we are told that the true believer walks as he, that is Christ, walked. In chapter 2, verse 10, we are told that the true believers love each other. In chapter 2, verse 13, we are told that having loved each other and having loved God, true believers no longer love the world. In chapter 2, verse 29, we are told that true believers are characterized by the practice of righteousness. In chapter 3, verse 9, the verse before this passage begins, we are told that true believers are no longer dominated by the practice of sin. In chapter 3, verse 14, we are told that true believers will, as a habit of life, exercise love. And in chapter 3, verse 24, we are told that true believers are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now in this book, John tells us of some things that indwell the believer. The believer is indwelt by these various things. First of all, he is indwelt by the Word of God. Chapter 2, verse 14. He is indwelt by what John calls twice in chapter 2, including verse 27, the anointing, which he explains is Jesus. He is our anointing. We are told that he is indwelt inseparably from himself by the seed of God. Now that is a term from genetics. It is like the genetic likeness, like the likeness between father and son that is inherent, that is natural, that cannot be altered. He is indwelt by the seed, by the likeness of God. We are told that he is indwelt by the love of God. Verse 17 of chapter 3. And verse 24 also tells us that he is indwelt by God himself. Now in this passage, John completes this picture which he has been painting. And in this passage, he defines righteousness. Men have always defined righteousness in terms of what they do. 
Men have always wanted to define righteousness in terms of the things that they practice and the deeds that they do and the offices that they hold and the causes that they champion. And one day as we studied last week in the book of Revelation, the books of God will be open and every man who thought he could be saved by what he did will have his chance at the judgment of works when the books are open and none will make it. Here John defines righteousness and he defines it as what we are, not what we do. What is righteousness? Three times in this, in this passage, John says that righteousness equals love to others, period. The one who is not loving is not righteous. It is that simple. The light, remember, simply reveals what is there. It is a fact. You recall how our evangelist in the back-to-school crusade, Bailey Smith, said, you may know whether you know God or not and how close you are to God, not by those whom you love the best, but by those whom you love the least. You are as close to God as the one whom you love the least, and if you hate anybody, you do not know God, period. You say, well, boy, you're mean. No, I'm not. I'm just reading the Bible. Well, now, I know what the Bible says, but... Well, I tell you, you reject the Word. You've rejected Jesus. That's a signed confession of unbelief. You are as close to God as the one whom you love the least. Now, I have a confession to make to you. I've been preaching for 15 years last month. 1,500 times or more I've come to the pulpit and until today, I have never had a hard time coming to the pulpit anywhere under any conditions. But after what I saw and what I heard and the way I heard the Word of God twisted and denied and voted against in this church Wednesday night, it was all I could do to walk in this room today. I have never in my life... Well, that's the Old Testament. Jesus honored it. You reject it. You reject Jesus. I have never had a hard time coming to the pulpit. You know, my friend David Walker preached on the body of Christ and what he had to say when he was here when I was at Hobart about the body of Christ and rubbing the sore parts has been grossly distorted and misused. And I told him how it had been used and it really kind of burned him up. You see, the body, Paul says in the passage that David preached from relative to the body, that the parts of the body work together. And when a so-called part of the body charts its own course and will not cooperate with the whole body, it simply demonstrates it's not part of the body. Now, those are the facts. I think there must be nothing on the earth that angers God Almighty any more than to take the word and to twist it to a preconceived idea or to say the standards of God's word must not be followed because nobody can measure up. That's the same argument, folks, they use for legalizing liquor by the drink, marijuana, and hard drugs. The same arguments exactly. In this passage, John defines righteousness as love to others. 
I've been accused repeatedly of not loving. Why? Because I stand in the pulpit, I read the Bible, and I tell the truth. Folks, if you're offended by the Word of God, you're offended by God, and if you're offended by God, you need to get right with God. It is no act of love to try to compromise what God says. You're talking about methods. You're talking about procedures. That's one thing. You're talking about the Word of God. Listen, somebody asked me the other day, where does it say the Bible has, uh, that in the Bible that a deacon has to be a tither? Can you believe that? I want to remind you that Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 don't even say that a deacon has to be saved. You see, God didn't think we were stupid. Does the Bible require less of an officer of the church than it requires of every Christian? You have no idea, most of you, some of you do, how hard it is to tell the truth. You have no idea how hard it is to tell the truth. And when you've tried to make peace and put the peace in quotation marks on the basis of compromise of God's word, you've not cooperated with God, you've cooperated with the devil. Why don't you write down a scripture reference, Matthew 10, 34, and you want to shake your head and deny it, just shake it and deny Jesus. Matthew 10, 34. Write it down and have a look at it. Righteousness equals loving one another, and there is no love without discipline. There is no love without discipline. I have heard suggestions and encouragements to doing things certain way in the churches that are totally contrary to what a parent who says they love their children would do. You know, we are told that we must allow this, that, and the other because that's what people say or that's what people think. We are always told continually and over again you're dealing with people. I want to remind you that the people are dealing with God and God is in charge, and God's Word is the standard. God's Word is the standard. There is no other standard. And it seems to me is a product of the spirit of self. It seems to me. And the spirit of self is never identical with the spirit of Christ. We are told we've got a right to think what we want to think. That's true. We've got a right to do what we want to do. That is not true. The church belongs to the people. That's a lie. The final authority in the church is the people. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Word of God says, Let this mind be in you which was in Jesus. And he never gave two answers on any one issue in his life. The standard is the Word. The authority is the Lord. And anything with more than one head is a freak. And there are genuinely people who believe that every individual ought to be the head of the church. You think what that animal looks like? They talk about the body, all right? How many heads does the body have? 
talk about what Paul said, all right? What did Paul say? He said every part has a different function, not the same thing. Righteousness equals a loving spirit. You are as close to God as you are to the individual whom you love the least. And if you hate that individual, you hate God. To love is to give of yourself. It is to sacrifice. It is to be willing to go to the cross. It is to have the mind of Christ to preserve self, to be hurt, to be offended is not a, a cry for help. It is not an acknowledgement of need. It is an acknowledgement of carnality. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they who love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Folks, I'm still hearing about things that some of you have reportedly done to each other 10 years ago. You're going to tell me that's a mature Christian that's talking about it? When you find somebody that says, do you know what they did? You found at the best a baby Christian and at the worst the parrot of Satan. Love is self-giving. Self-assertion was the sin of Satan who tried to take the throne of God away. To love is to be willing to die. The book of Proverbs, pardon me that it's in the Old Testament, but the book of Proverbs says the one who loves buries offenses, covers them up. The one who hates holds them up to public view. Now that's a fact. To be righteous is to love. To love is to give, to avenge, to hurt, to harm. Demonstrates the light is absent totally. Now let us examine the text. We will read it word by word so that we may see whether or not I've done any violence to what John says. Verses 10 to 13. In this passage, by the way, John finishes the picture of the believer by giving four tests of what a real believer is. Number one, verses 10 to 13, the test of righteousness. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. The test of righteousness. Who is a real believer? The one who is righteous. Who is righteous? Verse 10 and elsewhere in the book and all over the Bible. The one who loves his brother. 
The test is obvious. Righteousness equals love. You cannot be righteous without love. Deeds will follow as a result, but deeds are not valid without love. Cain hated Abel because Abel's life was a rebuke to him. And in the whole history of the human race, righteousness has promoted, or not promoted, but righteousness has incurred hostility, not because the uh, one who is hostile uh, wants to be righteous, but the righteous individual, and Jesus Christ is the prime example, the righteous individual has always incurred the hatred of the world because his life is a public rebuke to those who are not righteous. Cain was rebuked by the very life of his brother and by his brother's righteousness. To hate proves that fatherhood is of the devil. Now I'll tell you one thing that I'm sick and tired of hearing. I'm sick and tired of hearing, we're always told if we don't agree with you, you're of the devil, that we're of the devil. That's a bald-faced lie, folks. But when you don't agree with God's word and you deny God's word and you chart a course independent of God's word simply because I happen to be the one who speaks God's word, then you are cooperating with the devil. That's simple. And to hate proves fatherhood. What does he say? The children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, am I misinterpreting that, or how do you interpret plain languages? Only thing he could have done would be reduce it to words of one syllable or less. The one who does not love his brother is not of God. You recall from chapter 2 the statement I made, the one who hates his brother has no brother. What John is saying is the same thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. The tree is known by its fruit. To be born of God is to love. If there is no love, there is no birth. And Jesus contrasted false love with true love when he said, if you love only those who love you, you have accomplished nothing, for the heathen do the same thing. The heathen do the same thing. And in verse 11... He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now the message, that's the Word of God. The truth of God is communicated through the Word of God. And to deny the Word is to admit that the truth has never been received, and to admit that the truth has never been received is to admit that God is not there. This is the message that we have heard. No Word... No allegiance to the Word, no love for the Word, no devotion to God's standards as expressed in the Word, no new birth. The one not doing righteousness, and he defines that as the one not loving, is not of God. Beloved, tangible, 
visible evidence cannot be denied. Tangible, visible evidence cannot be denied. Now in verse 13, he says this, Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. I don't think it's too far afield from what he says to say that hatred toward Christians is from the world. And if it comes from within the church, that means that those within the church who hate are worldlings and do not know God. As our friend George Harris says, the Christian army is the only one in the world that shoots its wounded to death. Hatred comes from the world. And if it is hatred, it is of the world. The New Testament teaches us that we must and shall be, if we belong to God, at all times involved in spiritual warfare with the world. But he never said that the wars were to be fought in the church. Then in verses 14 to 18, there is the test of doing love. The test of doing love. Beginning with verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Loving is the only proof of salvation. There is no other. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, which John just about quotes here, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Perhaps again we need to define love. It is the Greek word agape. Now there are six words in the Greek that the English translates love. They go from the affection of friendship to brotherly love to the affection of, uh, of physical attraction to various aspects. But the word agape love is uniquely a Christian love. Agape means a love that is returned to others no matter what they do to you. And if you can ever stop loving somebody, you never love them in the first place. Because agape cannot be destroyed. It cannot be turned off. And when you, they say uh, there's a fine line between love and hatred, and that is said sometimes by news people and reporters in connection with the fights and sometimes the murders that occur within families. But you see, the problem is that the family was not based on agape love. It was based on a kind of love that says, I love you because of what you can do for me. I love you because you love me. I love you because I feel good when I'm with you. I love you because you pat me on the back and tell me that anything I do is all right. And when that is broken and there is hatred, it demonstrates that there was no agape. 
That is the test, the test of doing love. It is the only proof. Agape is selfless. It is self-giving. Reactionism is not love. Being offended, holding a grudge is not love. And the absence of agape proves the presence of death. The second death, the death that knows not God. The latter part of verse 14, he who does not love abides in death. One of our families who was at Glorietta shared with me what a blessing it was when a former Oklahoma pastor, John Bassanio, preached on love regardless. Love regardless. You see, if it is not regardless, then it's not love. It's just that simple. If it is not regardless, it is not love. How can you tell who's right? You know, this I have a right to my opinion kind of a mentality, and uh, if I'm big enough like a 200-pound canary, I can get away with anything I want to do. This kind of mentality is based, you know, sometimes you say, I'm right. How can you tell who's right? Who loves? You see, John says, love is righteousness. Righteousness is love. Who loves? Consider the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most moral people that ever lived, and that's no put-off. They were not secretive about outward sins. They didn't just do it in public. They were righteous down to every, the way we count righteousness, down to everything that they did. And Jesus said, you're like a tomb. You're painted white on the outside. You're full of rottenness on the inside. They weren't righteous, but they were good. They weren't righteousness, but they, righteous, but they were moral. They were political. That's another sign of a Pharisee. Let's do it like a precinct worker and muster the votes. They were good, but they weren't righteous. Righteousness is love. Who is right? The one who loves. True love will demonstrate itself. I've known of an individual who was told off in some of the, the, the crudest terms that I've ever heard anybody told off. And at the end, through gritted teeth, they were told, but I love you as a Christian. And God turned his head and vomited. Righteousness is love. Who is right? Who loves? True love will demonstrate itself and... Uh, True hatred will also demonstrate itself. And to hate is to be a murderer. Say, so that's strong language. Can you read the Bible? John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Verse 15. Beloved, if you're close to somebody that's got it so bad for somebody else, you can't get over, they can't get over it. You better get away from them and stay away from them. The Bible says they're a murderer and they will turn on you someday. They will turn on you. Oh, they'll blame it on God. Do you know what he did? Well, do you know what they did to Jesus? They put him on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them. That's love. That's love. 
And it's so nice to have somebody else to blame for your sin or mine. God's not fooled. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You know the most vicious people I know with their tongues just come absolutely unglued when somebody starts talking about them? Can you believe that? Harry Truman used to say, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. The prophet said, they have sown to the wind, they shall reap from the whirlwind. Paul said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Peter in his first epistle says, what have you accomplished if when you sin and you suffer for it, you endure it well? He says, that's normal. That's going to happen. When you sin, you'll suffer for it. He says, but what pleases God is to suffer for doing righteousness. And at that point in your life, you possess the presence and the power of God as you never have before. Who is right? Who loves? The book of Proverbs says the one who sows seeds of discord is one of the seven things that God hates with an unending eternal hatred. But I didn't do anything. I just told the facts. You're throwing down that seed, beloved. You're going to reap it. You're going to reap it. The other night the Lord told me, he said, son, it doesn't say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Anybody that's ever been around a farm can tell you that what you throw down in the ground is what you're going to get when it harvests. Is that so terribly hard to understand? John says to hate is to be a murderer, but he takes it a step further. I heard a statement not too long ago that said love doesn't thrive on poverty. Verse 17 says something very much like this. He says, whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Here is a test of material things. If you want to deny somebody the material things of life, it is because you hate them and there is no love in you. What does he say? If you can provide it and you don't, the love of God doesn't abide in you. Material things. But let's be spiritual. Well, is the Bible not spiritual? That's what it says. To react to somebody in bitterness is not proof of a lack of salvation. To react is a proof of carnality. But not to get over the reaction and to feel no remorse and to feel no guilt and not to repent and live that way your entire life is a proof of death. Here is the test of doing love. And then in verses 19 to 22, here is the test of assurance. We shall know by this that we are of the truth. But what is by this that we love in the previous verses? We shall know by this love 
that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. The fruit of love is twofold. Number one, it is assurance. Number two, it is answered prayer. The fruit of love is assurance and answered prayer. Now a Christian may be stricken with doubt, but God's Spirit, which is greater than the heart, he says, will overrule that and will pierce through with His love and His heart will bear witness with our heart and we will be assured on what basis? On the basis of our love. You see, love is the proof and it is love that the Holy Spirit will point to as evidence of assurance. It is the evidence of salvation. It is the presence of assurance. It is validated by love. God's Spirit will persuade us of our state before Him. Now, assurance is based on facts and not on feelings. When answered, God will answer rather when we pray with a clear heart and a clean conscience. For when we pray with those conditions present in our lives, when we pray with a clean heart, with a clear conscience, when God's Spirit is free to pray through us, we will claim things that please God. Remember Bailey Smith's sermon on seven prayers God will not answer? He told us, beware when you pray against somebody. For the Bible says that God will take off dealing with them and will start to deal with you. If you are praying against somebody, you're praying against God. Prayer is answered when there is a clean heart, when there is a clear conscience, and when the things that we pray please God. Verse 22 gives us the conditions of answered prayer. What does it say? Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. What are His commandments? That we believe in Jesus and that we love each other. Those are His commandments. In this packet, in this passage, John has reduced everything God requires of us down to this, that we believe in Jesus, that we love each other. Obedience here that we keep His commandments and do the things pleasing in His sight. These verbs are in the present tense of continuous action. The one whose prayers are answered are the ones who habitually do these things, who please Him, who keep His commandments. We must obey and conform to the image of Christ, or there is no peace, thus no assurance, there is no answered prayer. Then in verses 23 and 24, here is the test of obedience. It is unmistakable. John writes, 
And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. And the one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And we know by this, by what? By loving each other, that He abides in us by the Spirit which He has given us. Here is an unmistakable test, the test of obedience. There is no way around it. As he has said elsewhere in this same passage, right belief equals right conduct. Righteousness equals love. Right belief equals right conduct. Attitudes will be right or there will be the conviction of the Holy Spirit and there will be repentance. If there is no change, if there is no remorse, if there is no guilt, if there is a conviction that the ungodly attitude is right, it is proof of death. It is proof of death. Now I want you to look at verse 13. He says, this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Belief in Jesus and love for each other is the same commandment. And if you cannot, dash, will not love, you do not love Jesus. You do not know Him. John said it. His commandment, just as He commanded us to believe in Jesus, is to love each other. All God requires is summarized. Believe and love. Believe and love. You see, for the Christian, righteous living, right living depends on right thinking. And right thinking depends on faith. Hebrews eleven six. for without faith it is impossible to please Him. Right living depends on right thinking. Right thinking depends on faith because right thinking depends on believing God's Word and you have to accept God's Word by faith. whether it is secular humanism, the world trying to right its own wrongs without Jesus, or whether it is people who use a Christian vocabulary trying to find a rational, practical human solution to everything that happens, it is all the same thing. It is an absence of faith. Right living depends on right thinking, and right thinking depends on faith because you must receive and accept the Word of God by faith. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness unto God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness unto God. Faith in Christ and love to each other are one commandment, two elements of one commandment, and they are inseparable for each, from each other. Now, doubt will come to those who believe. 
Imperfection is the lot of we who abide in the flesh. There will be doubt. There will be lapse. There will be failure. There will be resentment. There will be bitterness. But what John says is that the ruling principle of life is righteousness, which equals love. And the one who continues in hatred, the one who continues in harm and hurting, the one who continues and will not repent and thinks it's right to be like that, has no light. Now I've seen it all of my life when people dominated by an unholy spirit are approached by people who have reacted to them with a loving spirit who apologize, those people with the unloving spirit, instead of taking that apology as a rebuke for their own ungodly attitude, it just reinforces their own idea that they were right all the time. Beloved Isaiah said, our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And if you feel righteous, you've been deceived by the devil. Who is right? Who loves? Who is right? Who buries offenses instead of holding them up for the world to see? Who makes trouble? Who talks publicly about things that promote trouble? Who is it that loves? Who is it that seeks reconciliation? John said to us in chapter 2, Beloved, love not the world and the things of the world. For if a man love the world, the things of the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. Doubt comes, but love is the test. And it is love to which the Holy Spirit will point and will assure us that we belong to God. You know, I'll tell you something that has gotten to bother me in the last few years, and that is that there are movements in Christianity that are characterized by what biblically would have to be called heresy. You know, folks that just believe the wrong things but yet they're godly, loving people by and large. They take abuse from people who believe the right things, and basically many people who might have known in this category just keep right on loving. And then here's somebody who seems to believe all the right things, but they're mean as the devil. Now, which one's the most like God? You answer that. Which one's the most like God? John said his seed, the seed of God, the genetic likeness, the characteristics of the Father abide in him. He said in verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. The one who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I'm tired of folks who seem to believe the right things being mean as the devil, aren't you? They're not like Jesus. They're like the Pharisees, and nobody was ever farther away from God than the Pharisees. For Jesus said, there are none so blind as those who will not see. The heretic who loves in the way that God loves is more like Jesus 
than the one who is totally orthodox in doctrine and yet is not like Jesus in the matter of loving and hating. No one who is ruled by that as a life principle is saved. Back in East Texas where folks talk kind of crude and down home, way back when I heard an old preacher in the revival say, that irritates you? That make you mad? Well, let me ask you, if you throw a rock at a bunch of dogs, which one hollers? A little more cultured environment, they say if the shoe fits, wear it. You know, it's the truth, folks. What I have told you is the truth. And if you deny what, what we've read the Scriptures together word by word, now you deny that or try to, quote, interpret it, which means find a way to get around to what it says. And it's a denial of Jesus. I'm not happy about it. I don't enjoy it. It breaks my heart. Never in my life, as I told you, have I had trouble coming to the pulpit until today. And I didn't want to do it. None are so blind as those who will not see. None are so deaf as those who will not hear. Beloved friends, it is a fact that when I stand and read the Scripture, there are people who say, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. Why? Because I said it. And then they tell you how much they love God. This is the truth. By this, John says, the children of the devil and the children of God are obvious. The one who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, we don't need to rationalize it. We don't need to figure out a pragmatic solution. We just need to repent. Vance Havner says the first business of the church is repentance. That's the first business of the church, repentance. And sometimes we get some things confused. It is a mark of God's ministry when people are saved. It is a mark of God's presence when young people go into Christian service. It is a mark of God's presence when people feel a loving atmosphere and join the church. But the evidence to the world that we belong to Him is love for each other. That is the evidence of the world, to the world. And the first business of the church is repentance. If you were convicted, arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You've heard that. What is there about your life that an unbeliever cannot do just as well? I've known people who call themselves Christians who can hate worse than anybody I've ever known who call themselves worldlings. That's something to be proud of, isn't it? The light love 